0: This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining us for this episode of The How of Car Washing. This is episode 19 and part two of David's Conversation with Frank Kinder. If you missed part one, which we released last week, that's episode 18. And now here's part two of David's Conversation with Frank Kinder. Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez.
1: You know, you've learned a lot about car washing over the last five years, so where did you start and where are you today? I know we spend a lot of time educating and talking to each other about uh, what utilities need and what their issues are and the explained what car washing, what the issues and needs are. How 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 has your perception changed over the years?
2: You bet. So when I came into the industry seven years ago, uh, I I didn't have any real appreciation for the um, complexity of the industry, nor its progress with efficiency and controls. So I was essentially just like your everyday customer. I had been using car washes, but never really knew the behind the scenes. And so my role here, like most major utilities, is to work with our business customers of all types. And so that requires going out and learning about what they do with water, when, where, and how, seeing if there's opportunities to partner, and then sharing that information with our customers as well. So we become a mouthpiece for the most efficient users. So when I came in, I had perceived, like most folks, that washing a car at home on my driveway was what would be the most efficient and, and, uh, the least cost really. I mean who didn't grow up seeing the dog in the in the bucket with the suds and watching people spray off the car? And I'm a car guy, I always have been, so I love washing cars and keeping them clean. I, I take a lot of pride in cars and I appreciate everything automotive, truthfully. Um uh, maybe to my wife's chagrin, I yeah. guess. But Once I started talking with Dave and I realized, you know, our first thing was to take a look at your spray nozzles to see if everybody was using the efficient nozzles. And then we looked at potential incentives. And that's where I mentioned that partnering aspect. Maybe these nozzles are too expensive for people to acquire. But if there's a a unit cost that can be achieved where we can partner with you guys on a rebate. So once I started talking with some of the, the users in the region, I realized that car washing was really efficient. And compared to some of the home washing, I mean, geez, it can be 25% or less of the water. And, of course, there's the environmental containment aspect, too, which, as we know, many of our residential users just wash that soap right into the gutter. And out here, uh, our stormwater, our, our water is a separate sewer water system. So it goes right into the streams. It's not actually entering our, uh, our wastewater treatment plants. So we don't get to reclaim and treat that water. And so I learned all of the great things that your industry is doing and then I'm able to tell my customers about that too.
1: So you learned a little bit about that through uh, the International Car Association, with talking with Claire Moore, who's That's in right. charge of our Water Savers program. You've studied that Water Savers program. There, there's something called the Water Congress, which is a, a meeting that takes place every year. Tell us a little bit about the Water Congress, what takes place there, and I think uh, ICA is very uh, visible at the Water Congress, explaining our Water Savers program. So
2: right. So the, so what we try to do in Colorado, we, we have a lot of respect for the uh, expertise of industry and business. And so when I move in to talk with my business friends about how they're using water, what we want to do is recognize the programs that you have established to be efficient in whatever industry it might be. For example, there's a Green Restaurant Association industry certification for folks who serve food. And that basically says they're being environmentally sensitive with the amount of food they use, the amount of waste. So for the, this industry... Some of our utility partners have created their own wash certifications. So my approach has been to see what exists that you guys have done on your own to be as efficient and uh, responsible with that water and other resources you're using to perform this necessary service. So when I talked with Dave and I learned about um, your programs, Water Savers, I, I was so excited to see that this is a robust program that has a branding aspect to it that you could demonstrate, hey, this is what we're doing to save water. Here's how it's done. Here's how we validate it. And it's something that we can share with our customers who are using the, the wash to say that, you know what,
1: you're getting what you need, but we're doing it in a
2: way that makes sense.
1: Yeah, good, good, yeah. So, and, and that gets discussed at a lot of different industry. I know there's there's a front range mm-hmm. water group. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Water Congress. So it's good that that information is, is getting out and getting getting over there let's talk about the difference between water so when so the way i describe it we use about 80 to 90 gallons to wash a car and probably about 80 percent of that water we reclaim and we reuse on site sure so you know that's for wetting down the car keeping the cloth wet underbody, spraying off wheels Uh, fresh water is used primarily for chemistry so for the soaps and for the rinsing and so when we look at our water bill and we say how many gallons we use divided by acre-feet, which is a cool calculation, but we'll calculate the number of gallons and we divide it by the number of cars, we're able to, each, each bill, we take a look at our water consumption, quote-unquote, it's about maybe 15 to 20 gallons per car, which is on the low side in general as far as water usage. Now, I would say 95% or more of that water goes back through wastewater. Uh, goes back to you folks and then you take it and then you clean it up and it can be either used as non-potable water or it can be sent back down the system if you've got a requirement to return water to the stream but tell me a little bit about non-potable water how you use it and what what quality is non-potable and what are some of the uses for non-potable water um, in at least in colorado springs
2: okay so a few of these things relate to that prior question, too. With regard to Water Congress, these guys are the ones that are in charge of uh, water decisions across the West, and so they want to know how water is being used, where, by whom, and in what manner. And and so for things like the water that is used for domestic municipal purposes, they they want to make sure that if a project is approved, something like SDS, or even a small acquisition, then it's going to go to the most beneficial use possible. And beneficial use is a a legal term that's common here in the West because since that water is scarce, it has an ownership aspect to it, which means that I own the right to use that water and I have to put it to beneficial use. If I am not, then another user who is waiting in line behind me can use that water. And so for us, when we acquire water from the West, we do it with a... um, a senior water right, meaning that we own the first right to put that water into use. And that can be in a business like yours with with car washing. Frequently, that water then has a second user waiting in line who says, I need that water for my use, which might be different from yours. It could be farming, it could be manufacturing, it could be a golf course. And so in Colorado, the way our water... Works is the western water from the Colorado Basin has uh, these rights allocated to it, and they they can be what you call single use or essentially to extinction. And it gets very complex here, and we have luckily some experts on staff. But the water that's used once then is used in your application, and it has to be returned to the same quality uh, under which that it was received in. And so that's where. The, um, the non-pot argument comes in. Some of that water has to be cleaned up and then sent down the river to our farmer friends down south. And it goes down to Pueblo and then heads east. And eventually, it'll be used between 7 and 22 times before it gets to the Gulf of Mexico. So that water then is treated in our municipal wastewater treatment plants to an exceptional quality standard. Frequently, it's actually cleaner than the water in the creek, as Dave mentioned, and even to some degrees uh, better than we even got it originally. Other water that can be used to extinction is uh, water that we can clean up in those same plants and we can divert from that stream. So we take it and we can put it in those power plants that we discussed earlier. So, so these power plants have cooling towers like most uh, fuel-powered power plants. And so in order to uh, cool the steam that's used or the glycol in a glycol exchange system, that once used water that is now non-pot, uh, can be put through the cooling towers and then reclaimed. And of course you lose some through evaporation and you can capture that and reuse it a number of times, essentially till it's gone. And we do that in our power plants and we do it also around town in municipal services, like our oldest cemetery, Evergreen Cemetery, that's downtown. And, uh, when the city was established, when the water uh, entity was established, Springs Utilities, the uh, it was typical, to, of course, to have a golf course and a uh, cemetery. And so there's a lake down there which would receive a lot, a lot of this water, and it was used for irrigation. And then the next use is in parks. And so out here, we don't get enough water really to... Uh, keep bluegrass alive on its own. It just would not survive. It needs about 22 to 24 inches of water. And as I mentioned, we get 10 inches less than that. So we have to supplement it. So this non-pot water is a great source. So we clean this water up and we send it around town through our parks and medians. And we're lucky to have great parks in Colorado Springs. Uh, That's part of the vision for how the city should be developed. And so we use that water there. Outside of that, it can be used for some municipal entities too. The big constraint is where are those non-pot lines? Many of them are in the older parts of town, and those are grid layouts, so it's pretty efficient. But there is a cost to expand non-pot systems, and uh, you, you have to pay that incremental cost. And truthfully, it's always been uh, more expensive to get that water to your door, uh, even though the water was less expensive per unit compared to, not, to, compared to potable.
1: Okay, so non-potable is a whole separate system.
2: It yeah. is, and it's it's that way because there is a safety aspect to it. You might have heard the term of purple pipe. Many of these non-pot sprinkler heads, they have a little purple ring on the top to indicate that at times there are uh, higher TDS in there, and then there can be some biological components too. Not all systems across the country clean water up as 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 we do, and so th- there is an issue of if you're spraying, uh, you know there could be some things that can make people sick on occasion. You you never know. It's just not as clean as potable and it doesn't really have to be because of the intended uses. There's also higher salts, and there can be some other aspects to it too. So that's why you see those signs, do not drink non-pot. But it has a lot of beneficial uses too. I mean, without our non-pot system, we would have to be using a great deal more potable, and uh, we wouldn't have the ability to be as
1: efficient as we are as a city. Yeah, that's that's one of the major advantages of non-potable water. Now, when you water a lawn, do you consider that water gone forever? I mean, in your mind... Is that used to extinction? Is that where that that term might come into play, where I'm watering my lawn, I don't get it back? That's a very complex uh,
2: calculation. Some of that water... What we all calculate these things on is what we call return flows. And so return flows are uh, looked at from the indoor side and the outdoor side. Of course, we look at a great deal of the water that is used indoors, is returned to us through the wastewater system, and can be reused. Outdoor water... Some of it is returned to the streams. Eventually it'll hit the um, gr- the solid rock underneath the ground and it'll kind of migrate underneath back in. And, and we can claim that that water is available then for that next user downstream. But some of the water does evaporate. It's used by the trees and it goes away. So there's there's estimations and, and uh, careful calculations around how much of that water uh, is used in consumption
1: and, and is returned and then some of it's not. Good, good. Okay, so car washing is a high-return activity. Yeah, I mean, really, the water that we would consume would be through evaporation, so the car is not completely dry when it leaves. There's a little bit of evaporation that takes place. There's a little bit of carry-off that goes down the exit. Sometimes the exit's wet, and that evaporates. But, you know, I I would say I wish I knew. I wish way for me to calculate that. We've talked about putting meters on wastewater systems so we can calculate our actual consumption but i think it's only a few gallons per car which i think is a very efficient efficient right. process but um so you were talking about water rights i mean water rights here in the west go back to the 1800s i mean you have senior water rights mm-hmm. you have subordinate water rights with your junior water rights it's a very contentious uh area of law mm-hmm. um because water is life here in the west when we don't have it and you know, when you look at Colorado Springs, you would you can't imagine that it's really an arid environment. It really is high desert, but we've you know, with our use of water, we've turned it into a very lush uh, area, lush environment, lots of trees, lots of grass. Yep. And I know there's a lot of effort on your part in your department to talk to people about eliminating a lot of grass and zero scaping. I think is the term that's being used. So you were using a statistic earlier about 42 percent of residential use is used for landscaping. And I think that's come down. I, I heard statistics that were a lot higher, but I think being in an arid environment, some people don't have lawns here. They just automatically choose to zeroscape their their outdoor area. Yeah. Um, you know, so so that that's actually a little lower than I imagine. But it's still quite a bit of water. I mean when you think about it, that's that's quite a bit of water that's potable for most that's being used to to, to landscape. So
2: well, that's the challenge that we face in this environment. So when General Palmer established the city, we have some great pictures of what the early areas of the city looked like. It was called Colorado City, uh, just, just a little west of us here. And, and his vision was a treed city. He came from the East Coast, what we would call uh, Newport in the Rockies. And so people from that area were used to trees. And so the first thing he did was planted cottonwoods alongside these, these large trees Uh, large houses that that were on kind of boulevard strips. And then the water was diverted from some of the mountain streams that were nearby, and uh, there's pictures of flood irrigation, which was the only approach at that time. And so this water was used to create this tree environment, And, and since that time we've replicated that. Because people like trees, they add a great deal of benefit to the city. They cool... They clean the stormwater. People feel better around trees. There's a nature benefit that's been clearly established. They raise property values a great deal. They create habitat and on and on. And so we have trees that are intentionally planted in our commercial and residential environments. And we encourage that because it does help our city's livability. Uh, The troubling challenge we've had is since the drought has been since uh, 2000, trees have suffered a great deal. And we've seen trees attacked by a great deal of diseases and bugs. And it's hard for people. Many people love trees around here. They act as an area of solace. We have a great uh, park downtown along our, our creek, um, which we call um, Santa Fe and, or the Monument Valley Park. And, and people recreate down there and they, they hang out under the trees. And the trees are, you know, truthfully, they're reaching their, their lifespan. And so when we look at the residential community, we want people to have trees but they have to be watered to live. A tree here on its own uh, will not really survive natively. We, we don't have the water. And the temperature extremes are very tough on trees. We just had a freeze last week, and most of the trees here were budding out. And so uh, their buds die, their leaves die, and then many of them actually broke. We had a huge number of trees fall down. Uh, some of these were already aged and disease, and some of them it's just the pure weight from the snow and so it's a tough place to live. You know, you got to be a survivor out here. <laughs>
1: you got to be tough.
2: <laughs> but we we um we're struggling with the challenge of xeriscape and and what that really means is trying to use the appropriate flora and fauna that are native to the environment when our uh, city founder started Bluegrass was the established norm because that's what people were used to. And we were a tourist destination. At that time, tuberculosis was widespread. Our air is clean and a little drier. And so people came out here to get a lot of help. And it really did work. And so uh, to order to create that destination feeling, bluegrass was the norm, and water was relatively plentiful, and it was cheap. And so through many decades, that's what we did, uh, up and through the 60s. Now we've seen that... Uh, expectations are changing and behaviors are changing, especially with the latest generation, millennials. They saw their parents spend so many hours on weekends uh, taking care of those lawns, spending time. They don't want to do that. And so we've seen that kind of an abandonment issue of the historical ideal landscape. And so we talk about using a more native approach that uses less water, but still adds a great deal of benefit. We, we really don't want people rocking yards. We don't want to look like Arizona. We don't, we don't want the cactus uh, component Rocks are are hot. They get filled with weeds. Uh, You know they they're not fun to play on for kids or dogs, and honestly, people don't want to buy a house if it's got rocks in the front and back. They want a green, lush landscape, and they're uh, they're willing to pay for it and take care of it. So my team does a lot of outreach with HOAs, with property management groups, with apartment owners. We want people to have a living, functional watered landscape. And, and we want them to choose plants if they can that are a good fit, that can withstand these crazy temperature extremes. It can be 30 degrees here one day and then 85 the next. And so when many people enjoy that variability, but the landscape is challenged. And so we've been talking about xeriscape as an approach to have these different types of plants that, that can survive and still give a great place to live. One of the things that we're, we're facing now is after this Great Recession, many people just stopped watering altogether. And that's understandable. If, if you've lost your job and other situations are occurring, you're just going to use that money where you have to. So now we're seeing a lot of people buying these homes that have essentially dead landscapes, so they're coming to us to say, I want a plant. I want something to live. I know it shouldn't be bluegrass door-to-door. So we talk about maybe it's a throw rag instead of carpet, right? So we use these different strategies to say, for new and existing homes, let's put in a planted landscape that gives you that benefit. It's a place to come home. It's a respite from work after a long day. but it, And it's beautiful and it's fun, but it doesn't require that amount of money or that, that, that intensive um, pollution. You know, there's a lot of challenge with the bluegrass too. If you're using things that are pollutants, irrigation, um, can be done, but it's complex for people. Just like any any, any uh, component of a home, you have to take care of it, you have
1: to maintain it. So we were working on some of those solutions. Yeah, that's perfect, perfect. You know, our our whole behavior and attitude have changed in the last 20 to 30 years where, you know, washing your car, running the hose, you know, that's where the numbers, two to three hundred gallons per car it. come into play because we just didn't think about it. We didn't think about watering we'd overwater and we would run off and run down the storm sewer and nobody really cared because water was a very inexpensive resource. But I think we're all getting smarter as far as, you know, using our resources wisely and as efficiently as possible because we know that, um, you know, over time it's going to get tighter and tighter and we're going to have to share it with more and more people and there's only so much to go around. So I think, you know, we're, like you said, millennials are leading the charge, but a lot of us have kind of changed our attitude toward How we you know how we develop, how we use our water, how we use our resources.
0: Mm -hmm. This episode of the How A Car Washing is sponsored by High Performance Wash Systems. High Performance Wash Systems is the largest car wash distributor and supplier in the Rocky Mountain region, specializing in providing car wash equipment and supplies. Serving the industry for over 50 years. They are a full service provider, assisting you with site selection, financial forecasting, obtaining financing, architect and general contractor selection, equipment recommendations, and follow on support. From start to finish, they assist owners with building and maintaining their car washes. Visit hpws.com for more information.
1: So um, one last thing on water tap fees, and then I want to pick your brain a little bit because we've developed a great relationship. I'm feeling very confident working with Colorado Springs Utilities and their understanding of car washes and where it fits into there. But I want you to give some advice to our listeners. is If they're a car wash operator and they, they haven't reached out to the utility or they don't think their utility understands the benefit of professional car washing, what should they do? But with water tap fees... You know it's for anybody building a car wash they're going to pay a water tap fee, and it's a pretty big investment and Colorado Springs is extremely reasonable when it comes to water tap fees in comparison to other utilities up and down the front range i mean it's but it could be in the ten tens of thousands of dollars or a hundred thousand up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've heard of water tap fees um in some places here going to four hundred thousand. I've heard water tap fees in Colorado and California you know, they start at 400,000 and go up. So, but what you're doing is you're paying for infrastructure. You're, you know, you're, you're tapping into an existing system that somebody else had to pay for either through bonds or through public financing over the years. And it's your, it's your contribution to that infrastructure to get that water. Um, anything you want to add as far as water tap fees are concerned? I know you've done a great job of keeping those reasonable. Well, you nailed it. I mean, there's,
2: there's an aspect of economic growth that that tap fee represents, uh, you would say, the, you know, the equitable, buy, equitable buy-in to all the existing owners. And, of course, here's our, our, ours are the citizens. And so you are paying for that additional infrastructure, and that's going to be there for decades to come, whether it's your use or another. And so there is a very significant capital investment for the additional water supply that will provide your, your demand. So tap fees are dependent upon a number of things. Uh, it depends upon the water situation that that entity is facing. Uh, I'm glad you brought up California. I mean, geez, five years of drought. If we hadn't had this amazing ir- rain year, this, these events that were sadly catastrophic, but in a sense rescue these guys, I don't know if car washing would exist in the state. I mean, they were in a dire situation where people were faced with that state provides most of the country's fruits and vegetables, all of its avocados and a great deal more things from the US. So you know they were they were facing how do we how do we do this? They were pumping groundwater as you know. the the Sacramento Delta was at historic lows and the Sierras too I mean a couple of years ago, there was five percent snow of normal. So when you're faced with those situations, uh, that state, which is a giant economic engine, was going to be having some hard choices. And so for for tap fees, in areas like that, they have to be very judicial about which businesses get approved and then how to ensure that the water that's going to be allocated to those choices is going to the highest economic benefit possible. Not that they can be as choosy as as that, but, but there's a point to that. I mean, when do you start deciding how water gets used, where and by whom? So for us, we we have always been supportive of additional business growth. I mean, it is a competitive environment. If someone's moving out here, they're going to look at Denver, Fort Collins, ourselves. And if we can be a, an attractive area to launch a business to help you make that, that profit, employ some people and provide those services, we want to do that. But, but there are definitely costs to do that. Once we have that tap fee, then we know that there's going to be that demand required for ever, essentially. So I, uh, I'm glad to know 400,000 is is not the
1: case out here. (laughs) No, I am too. But don't come out here and build a car wash. There are there's too many car washes right right now. That's right. Don't come out here. Yeah, no. Um, But yeah, so. It's interesting when you, we have to write that check, it is a big bite, but it's important. One more thing about that too. Some of the most innovative utilities, and if you're
2: looking at expanding your business somewhere else, there are some ways to help out with those tap fees. We don't currently have a structure that lets us modify some of those rates based upon programs that you could include in your proposal, but other cities can. Uh, some of them have a program where if you are building inefficiency from the start, If you start with water savers and you might have some other aspects to say, I'm going to only use this much water per car for the foreseeable ongoing future, then you might be able to get a discount. Just south of us there's a city that is uh, called Fountain and Fountain has a landscape component where if the builder says, I'm gonna use this guaranteed template which has been guaranteed to show I'm using this much less water in my landscape and I I will confirm that it's been constructed and then the city does an inspection and if it passes, they get a reduction on their tap fee. It's the same thing up north. In Westminster, they have an ability to do essentially a tap fee reduction if you can demonstrate that your business is more efficient than others.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're talking about snowpack in these Sierras. And most of the car wash owners here, at least in Colorado, can, can rattle off the snowpack percentage like box scores in baseball right now. I know it's 100% statewide, and then you look at the different drainage systems. What's the drainage system that we care about here in Colorado Springs?
2: Right, so, so we really collect most of our water from the Arkansas Valley, and so we, w- well, I guess we, we bring our water in through the Arkansas, but we care about, uh, there's really seven basins in Colorado, and so we collect our water up around uh, the Colorado River Basin, and we've had an exceptional snow this year. Uh, snowpack is well above 100% in a number of areas. In fact, we actually get to a, a, a strange period where we rarely do this, but we call it spilling water, where all the supply is able to be uh, is, all, is able to be taken in, in existing reservoirs, so you can't take any more. And and you might think, well, we'll just build some more, but that's a long-term process. I mean, sometimes you can only hold so many acre-feet of water in a reservoir, and then you have to do a bunch more work. So. We are at a place where we'll be at capacity, and then we can deliver that. And, and there's a balancing portfolio aspect to that, too. You have to bring that water in through conveyance, and you have to make sure you're not overspilling all your other reservoirs. And most of the utilities in, in Colorado and other places are in the same condition. However, it's not always the case. So we're, uh, we're feeling very fortunate this year, and that means there's a lot more water for the creeks, too, so the wildlife Uh, can have a share of that water, too. That's good,
1: good. Yeah, yeah. and when we think about water, it's just not car washing. There's so many other aspects to it that I think it's important for us as as stewards of water. I mean, look at myself as a steward of water. We want to use it very efficiently, but it's important for us to understand all these other aspects of of how utilities gain water, how do they use it, what are some of the challenges our utilities face so we can better understand what you're going through and partner with you where, where we can. So if, if you're a car wash operator and you've not reached out to your utilities or you don't even know if there's a drought process within that, what would you recommend for a car wash owner-operator to do to get 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 to know the utility, get to know the processes and maybe have a little influence in in the the drought stages?
2: You bet. So most utilities will have a periodic business user group meeting of some sort, and that's a chance for them to tell the story about the – uh, condition of the utility, what it's doing, what rates will be in the future, any any big projects coming up. And usually you'll have representatives on hand that you can meet with and, and learn about any programs that exist. Almost all utilities will send out information in their newsletters or their their bill inserts that have programs that are available. So we have one called First Source, and you probably have something similar where you're at. And then you might hear about programs that are for outdoor irrigation. They might be for the audits like Dave uh, took advantage of. They might be for lighting. I mean, if you've got a, uh, a conveyance system or you've got a tunnel where you've got overhead lighting and you've got some old inefficient stuff, LEDs can be paid for. We have an LED rebate of around 50% of the cost. And so that's a very effective way to reduce that energy demand, which can help your overall peak demand too. If you've got all your indoor and outdoor lighting taken care of, and, and you have a couple more uh, abilities to reduce that overall energy, we can help pay for those. So you can go meet these representatives. You can talk about where you fit in the drought. And if you're seen, if these folks don't know about your industry, you can share with them what you're doing to be efficient so that they can include you in the right stage of these drought ordinances. Uh, maybe they'll come to understand that you still offer a great service and you're better. And so that's when they'll start messaging to their residential customers to use you guys instead of doing it at home
1: yeah yeah so explain to them that you're a member of water savers if you're not become a member i think it's important because it is a is it a standard that's out there i mean you've kind of adopted in stage three or stage four i i believe that you're going to adopt the water savers standard to go to car washes and say if you're a member of water savers that's going to put you in a little higher category than maybe if you're not just because that standard already exists now there's there's other standards i know uh San Antonio, for example, has a, a standard for car washes. Uh, up at the Denver Water Board actually does inspections, so there's a sticker you can get mm-hmm. to be certified. So your utility, if it's large enough, might already have a certification process. But if it doesn't, I mean, I would encourage you to help your utility understand the benefits of professional car washing from a, from a consume, consumer standpoint, but also from a resource standpoint, and see what you can do to make sure that you're putting yourself in a position – where you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to have to shut down at stage one or stage two, primarily because the utility just doesn't understand. They see you as a consumer rather than drawing people in who might be driveway washing, and you do a much more efficient job at utilizing that resource. That's right. We're
2: fortunate here that we have some folks on staff who study all of our commercial users, and so we're able to know exactly how much water you use. And so we are aware of the efficiency that, you, that you've incorporated in your businesses other people might not have those same resources on staff. So you might have to do some education around how you do your business. Uh, you can talk about some of the, the newest technologies, maybe give them a tour of, of one or two of your sites, and then that'll help them understand that, that you, you have been responsible with these resources. And so if they are making a drought ordinance, and much of this, some of it's done proactively. Some of it's a little more emergency-based. Some of these folks have never been in a drought. You know, Folks in Texas all of a sudden there's 10 years of no water. And so they come, they're a little bit, you know, running from behind. And so you'll have to share with them what you've done to get ahead of these kind of concerns so that they can be responsible about where they place you in a drought. And, and then you can kind of see it as a partnership. And it's not something that's antagonistic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do see it as a partnership because without water electricity, we'd be pretty much out of business Yeah. <laughs> at this point. So I do see it as kind of a partnership and it's great that we do have this relationship and, and you understand. So when you've toured the car wash, what was your impression when you went through it? Most people, most people that don't understand car washing, or usually get a different impression once they've they've toured the insides of it. What, what was your impression?
2: Well, you know, coming from a, a, a bucket and a sponge and, and my little <laughs> hand and my sprayer, I was I was so impressed. I still love visiting Dave's washes. It's it's always an experience to go in and see the, the machines moving and hear it, and then understand what the reclaim system does and what it looks like. And, you know, you can see that line of cars outside and understand that there's going to be water used day in, day out. You know, we're in a strange place where after the snow is uh, is done, we actually put that that gravel down on the roads to help with the traction and whatnot. So cars are filthy out here. And, and and that's good for Dave, but it also means that there's a great deal of demand. And so when I take the tour and I see what he's doing and what all of you are doing, I'm continually impressed. And that helps us uh, teach other people about paying attention to what innovations exist in the industries. I mean, we're all used to the most efficient water sense toilets, which worked by, like, a champ, and the better shower heads and nozzles in, in, let's say, restaurants. Well, you guys have been on the forefront as well. So when I take a tour and I bring my staff in or others, we've done some on-site news briefs at, at Dave's location where we said, you know, folks might not be aware of what exists in modern day car washes. Yes. You've got the beautiful colors and you've got the other features available, but it's a responsible approach to getting your car clean. And so I, I I love seeing what's what's going
1: on in your industry and I think others would too in your area. That's great. Great. Good. So I would recommend uh, reaching out to your local utilities. They'll start on your website, reach out, find out who your conservation, most utilities I think have conservation departments. Anybody of a larger
2: size. So It's a requirement in Colorado. If you are providing over 2,000 acre feet, then you have to have a conservation plan. And you normally have a person that might be full time. It might be just other duties as assigned. But that means that they've taken a look at their water system and they're being as efficient with it as they can. And, And I should put a side effect on that. We pay attention to the water efficiency of our own system, too. So we take a look at our own internal pipes and pumps and make sure that we're not wasting water before we even get it to your door. So there's a great deal of auditing that is underway in our industry now to make sure that uh, as leakage occurs, and it does, I mean, we have over 2,060 miles of pipe in our system alone, just in our city. And so leaks are going to happen. But we want to be responsible for the water that we're asking you to pay for. But yeah, if it is a small place, you might have somebody who is all things. They might be safety, environment, and conservation, but talk with them, uh, share the details. If it's a larger entity, they might have a person or even a team like we do. Uh, we're lucky in that regard. And then they'll want to understand more about what you do, and then they'll, they'll want to even share that with others.
1: Yeah, I think it's best if, if it's a smaller utility, but I would definitely give them a tour because I think it does open the eyes of your utility managers uh, as far as how you're managing water, how you use certain tips sizes how you use tip sizes for rinsing you can kind of explain the whole process on what you do to make sure you're using it as efficiently as possible and I think just education is probably the best best thing and then understand where you sit overall in the in the drought stages so where does car washing sit and if you, if you're in stage 1 or stage 2 you got a little bit of work to do I think you want to communicate and educate that you know that you're 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 doing to do better for the overall environment, um, if drought comes, uh, by staying open, allowing people to come who might be driveway washers to come, and, and that water is very efficiently used. So, uh, anything else to add, Frank? Just a plug for the the, the magazine. I I uh, I love reading it.
2: I, I've 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 been so pleased to uh, be involved with the ICA, and and uh, I wish I could go to the conference. Truthfully, I know I'm not your ideal attendee, but it would yeah. be a great experience. And so I, I read the articles, and I, I share these with people. You know, we're all nerds in our own right. Once we're in business, we can't help it. It's part of the program. But I, I really have enjoyed learning from Claire and from Dave and from others. And I I think you're kind of an example. I mean, every other industry has its own leaders. But I see the ICA, I, I see uh, water savers as, as great examples in there are nonprofits. I should mention too. So I serve on the board of a nonprofit in the state called Colorado Waterwise. And you might have something like that where you're at. And they'll do articles for other users about innovations in certain industries. So we've shared exactly what Water Savers does, and we've compared that to some industry alternatives, like uh, Aurora for ex- existence created its own, or what Denver or others have. So so you can say, hey, here's what our industry cert does compared to other ones, and you might be able to have a very worthwhile discussion around. Uh, who's doing what, where, and how it how it helps. That's great, great,
1: good, good. So if people want to find out more information as far as what Colorado Springs is doing, although everybody has their own utilities, but if you want some good examples, what, where could they go to find out more information?
2: So we're lucky to have a simple website, csu.org. And uh, if you go to our business link at the top, you can look at uh, – ways to save, and that shows kind of our conservation stuff. And this will give you a feeling what large utilities like ourselves do. Uh, they're all different. It depends on the industries. Denver's got a little more industrial items. Uh, there's a little more farming up in others where they might have that kind of mixed industry. But you can get a feeling for uh, what's called a water use efficiency plan. So that's what guides my team on our strategies and rebates. These are five-year plans in our state. Every large utility has to have one, and it will have uh, things that are pretty detailed, including maybe requirements for your industry too. So it's worth uh, taking a look and seeing if this conservation plan exists. Frequently when these are redone, we'll invite people like Dave or yourselves in to have a say in what the next strategy should be. I mean, for for five years, we realized these things can change as technology improves, but you can sit down, you can be part of a committee and everybody loves committee work, I know. <laughs> but it's it's really worth your time to share what what's happening in your industry. You'll get to meet some of your peers in other industries and then you can get some of that ownership in uh how water waste and water uh drought responses look for where you live.
1: No, I agree, Great, yeah, yeah. Certainly partner with your utilities, have a partnership mentality. I don't like paying my utility bills, but I understand how important it is and uh, you know, how it keeps our business going and you know, make the investments in the future, I think. You know, realize that uh, you know, The future is going to be important to us, and car washing and utilities is going to be a big part of that as far as resources. So, Frank, this was great. I appreciate the time. There was a lot of great information, things I didn't know. Well, good. Me too. So it challenges me and helps me understand a little better. So thanks so much, and uh, good seeing you again.
2: Well, you bet, and thanks for bringing us in. Uh, I encourage you to look us up on the web. If you you want, uh, feel free to reach out to myself if you want to talk about what you're doing where you live, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, High Performance Wash Systems. If you're listening to us on iTunes and you want to make sure not to miss the next episode, we encourage you to subscribe to our show. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Car Washing. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on the How of Car Washing.